my mind today. Hey, it's the Union of the Unwanted. We're live, right? And you dig it! We are live. Thanks, guys, for joining us for another Union of the Unwanted episode hosted by myself, Ricky Brannis from the Ripple Effect Podcast, Mike from the OVDM Show, Sam Tripoli from Tinfoil Hat, and, of course, Charlie Robinson from Macroaggressions. Today's going to be a really fun show. Uh, this is actually... Well, first of all, guys, theunionofthewanted.com. Go there, get some merch. We got merch available. Uh, apparently, we got some Cash Daddy merch already, too, huh? <laughs> nice no, representing so get some of that always stuff too. be closing brother always <laughs> be closing uh so let, let's get mike how about you introduce uh, our topic today oh my god do i have to yeah this is right down i'm here. excited sure. this is cryptozoology i guess we're gonna be talking about monsters i do have like a few stories we can talk about right up front to kind of jumpstart stuff but you know this is gonna range from mothman bigfoot dogman uh, it could be elves, dwarves, whatever you want. Whatever fits in the cryptozoology realm. Um, the last time that I really dove deep into this topic with somebody on my show was with Hero Paranormal. And he was on the OBDM podcast and he was talking about his experience uh, just being around Skinwalker Ranch and a lot of the things that he encountered around there. And he had incredible stories, firsthand encounter stories of just crazy stuff that, that happened to him out there. So, I mean, this can go anywhere we want. I'm super excited uh, about this, and I'm glad everybody's here. Thank you so much. I know I've had Dr. Meldrum on. I have most of you guys on my podcast, and I, I think this is one of the more exciting topics to talk about because you basically have to unlock, in my humble opinion, this level of this realm to be able to see all this stuff. And for those that don't want to do that, this seems like crazy talk. But to me, it's so real. And, you know, to have Dr. Meldrum here again, I always enjoyed talking to him. And it's always good to have readers on the show. And, you know, so I'm excited to be here. And I'm excited to hear from everybody and their experiences because, uh, you know, I don't think people talk about this topic enough. Well, Mike, you left out um, Loch Ness Monster. And we have... Our own representative from the great Loch Ness, Mr. Kev Baker, is finally joining us after about 80 repeated attempts on my part to get him on the show. I'm so happy you're here, Kev. Welcome. Well, you know, when you swap the swamp monsters for real monsters, I'm here in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you did. Yeah. So whoever wants to kick it off, I mean, I don't know where to where to start this. Well, Mike has I mean, stories. You want you want to go over some of maybe share some of your stories? Yeah, because I, I think I, I got a story here. I'll bring it up on screen. You guys won't be able to see it, but people watching at home will be able to see this. This is this is probably a good place to start, and just with the headline itself. And uh, this this is titled "Ex Soldier Claims Bigfoot with Special Powers Exists After Pal Spots Humanoid." Now, this does come from the Daily Star UK, but there might be some interesting little tidbits here. A paranormal investigator has claimed one of his team witnessed the legendary beast Bigfoot rumored to roam, uh, roam North America, but it vanished without a trace. Trey Hudson, who is director of the Oxford Paranormal Society and served in U.S. military in Afghanistan as Operation Counterterrorism Officer, told the Daily Star about some of the pheno phenomena he says his team has witnessed. 
He has been leading paranormal expeditions at top secret locations known only by his code name, The Meadow. And his new book, The Meadow Project, uh, dives into uh, what is called considered the, the South's Skinwalker Ranch and is uh, getting ready to be published. Over the years, Trey claims to have witnessed some truly bizarre things, and one of his expeditions has made him consider that Bigfoot could be much more than flesh and blood and may even have special powers. And um, this is something that's been talked about uh, within the cryptozoological community for a while. Uh, Being described as... Similar in appearance to Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, was allegedly spotted by a member of his own team in the middle of the night in a chilling encounter. Recalling the event, Trey said about 2 or 3 a.m. that evening, he saw a white humanoid-type shape peering around a tree watching our camp. He went to get one of our team members who, uh, who has a very sensitive piece of thermal equipment, a very expensive FLIR unit, to see if she could detect the heat signature that this being was emitting and by the time she woke up and gathered her wits the equipment and got out there the entity was gone uh even weirder he said that there was no physical evidence of the figure or animal standing in the spot where they were investigating trey added it is interesting to note that many members of my team are also trained in tracking we know how to track a person through the forest through the foothills disturbances in the environment compressed earth compressed vegetation etc we went to the area and we had seen no disturbed vegetation, scuff marks, or any bark that was disturbed. And I can just leave it right there. This is just one little story that I've heard. I'm sure you guys have heard too that uh, Bigfoot is much more than just a upright walking ape. That it is something I'm, I'm special, gonna, unique. I, I'm going to just. I liked your word, the roarm. And I'm just going to roar him into this. Oh, okay. I said roar. I didn't know I said roar, but okay. I like that because it is. It's like a swarm of the, no, like in all, in all honesty, it seems like when you're speaking about these, in my opinion, everly evolving adversarial threats in the mind of humanity, Sasquatch, be it many of these cryptozoological entities, you find that there is no limit to some of the prowess and powers that they have. Because they do seem to be at a level of evolution that surpasses us in at least some form. And with that, I'll roar them out of there. <laughs> yeah, um, anybody want to jump in? Yeah, I'll yeah. say something here real quick. Um, so I'm primarily uh, a JFK researcher. That's what I've been doing for the last three years. And so I'm very critical when it comes to evidence. And I found like in the past couple months, I've seen enough things to make me want to open my mind that, the, that Bigfoot is a possibility. Um, there, <laughs> um, where, the, where I start to get lost is um, when people start to talk about Bigfoot being interdimensional or somehow connected to UFOs, I just, you know, I turn, I change the channel because that stuff just really loses me. Uh, what's everyone else's opinion on that? I, I, I disagree with you. Uh, so I was more uh, on the, I would goof on a lot of uh, Bigfoot witnesses like five years ago, like really give them a hard time. And then the more I started reading uh, some uh, testimonies and firsthand encounters, I took them a little bit more seriously. Um, there's been so many uh, accounts of not only Bigfoot sightings, but Bigfoot sightings that happened within this, a very similar time period as UFO 
uh, sightings as well. Stan Gordon written about, wrote, wrote about this extensively in Silent Invasion, uh, UFO and Bigfoot sightings that happened within the 60s and 70s in, in Pennsylvania. I, I don't know if there's a direct link, but there definitely seems to be activity of both those types of things in certain areas, and it's hard to dislodge the two. When you start talking about one, you start talking about the other. I don't know if they're directly related, but I'm I'm more invested, I, I believe, more now than I did five years ago. Yeah. I think a, a guy named uh, Bill Merrill in the 1980s became pretty popular because he uh, was really making that whole lore of the paranormal Sasquatch, like the uh, shape-shifting slash uh, portal jumping, you know, UFO riding Sasquatch popular. Um, and he appeared on lots of radio channels. I think he might have wrote, wrote a book about um, these Sasquatch. And in, in my first documentary I produced, uh, The Unwanted Sasquatch, not Unwanted, um, we show like a segment from uh, a TV show that was a talk show called town hall that was pretty popular in the 1980s. And, um, Bill Merrill was on that talking about how Sasquatch had almost like a TV dial that he could phase himself in and out of our dimension and, you know, the other dimensions that he lived in. Uh, and it just, it just sounds like pure science fiction, you know, it, none of that um, can be, I think with the UFO uh, study that's actively going on by the Pentagon and civilian researchers like ourselves and with the Bigfoot slash Sasquatch uh, phenomenon, you always get people that come to the forefront that talk about these more paranormal um, unquantifiable, unprovable stories. And often they rise in popularity and become, uh, you know, bestsellers when they're making a book or trying to option a screenplay. So you really have to look at what's happening here. You know, is this like another uh, David Wilcock, Corey Good type thing? Or is this uh, something that's that you can actually track factual accounts of, you know, are there multiple witnesses? Is there a police report? Was there footprints left at the, the scene? Uh, these are all the sort of things that I like to look for when I'm, when I'm, when I'm hearing about these stories and I didn't have a sec yet to check out uh, the article that Mike was sharing. I, I want to check that out, but if it has some of that stuff, then it would make it more provable to me. It would make it more um, interesting. Well, it's Otherwise, a Daily Star article. I doubt it does. <laughs> it's just it's a jumping right. off point. Yeah, that's true. And and I, I, in all clarity, I'm not arguing that that's really happening. But I think consciousness of the witnesses may have more to do with the equation than most might think. And much like a mentalist can hold his audience and nearly have complete control over his quote-unquote victims, this could be something where they're just outmatched uh, on some level. 
If, uh, if I could chime in for a second uh, really quickly, there's an 1885 New York Times article, uh, which I have pulled up. I have coming up on my show later this week regarding uh, archaeologists finding human bones three to four times larger than what our skeletal structure is currently. And they also found some other mechanisms with it within in Missouri, where these bones were also found that they at the time said, at least in the late 1800s, could not be replicated by current um, engineers or anything of the sort. So, again, it was it was very quickly covered up after that. Very little was known after the article was written, but I did some digging. It is in their archives, and uh, it, it was definitely reported back in 1885. So I have a book right here put out by David Pilatus called Bigfoot, Wild Man, and Giants. And this is just a collection of articles from newspapers uh, that were put out ranging in the 18, 1860s up until the early 1900s of people uh, encountering wild men before the, the, the term Bigfoot was coined. And they're written down. Uh, you can read them for yourself in in local newspapers and it was just com like common folklore back back then it's like almost common knowledge that hey there's some hairy dudes in the woods and they'll mess you up so just be just be careful and it's like pretty well documented you could say these are all fictitious but there are literally hundreds in this book and i think some are absolutely real yeah along those lines uh there's a guy named timothy renner he's a pennsylvania author and uh, he's written several books along those lines. And uh, there's one book that he called Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, which interests me because I'm in Pennsylvania. And it's a very similar thing. It's called The Hairy Man, The Wild Man. And there's these old newspaper clippings of like, you know, kids coming back from the woods saying what they saw. And then a bunch of guys going out looking for the thing or, or person because I guess they didn't really know what it was. But the descriptions of them does seem to fit what we, we have going on today with people's experiences. So it's interesting that it goes back that far. To add to that, um, you know, I, I've been interviewing uh, a guy named Thomas Steenberg, who's written like three different books on Bigfoot and Sasquatch history. Um, and when I mentioned to him uh, the skunk ape or, um, you know, the Florida version of Bigfoot, or some people say it's in Mississippi as well. He's like, oh, yeah, like, I don't believe that for one minute. Um, you, you think of all these wild, uh, private wild animal zoos that people have down in these parts of the United States. There's like the tiger King is a perfect, perfect example of that. And he believes that the skunk ape is just somebody that has grown tired of taking care of, uh, a, a chimpanzee or, uh, some other kind of greater ape that has released it into the wild. Um, and I, I don't know if that's true because it, they're based on the accounts and the sightings throughout history, you'd have to have like more than just a few private owners that had, you know, released their, their exotic animal into the wild and, and people are seeing that. Um, there's actually a pretty famous photo. I can't remember if it comes from Florida or Mississippi. But um, it looks like an orangutan standing on the edge of somebody's backyard, like looking at them with like glowing eyes. And um, he, he used that as a perfect example for probably an escaped uh, exotic animal. But I don't know. It looked a lot taller to me than um, an orangutan. But if you talk about Mike was talking about this 
newspaper articles that have been published back in the 1800s of multiple wild man sightings that have happened throughout North America. Um, a, a really good example of that, a popular one that um, I've shown in one of my documentaries is the Jacko capture that happened in 1880 in northern British Columbia. Um, this happened near Yale, British Columbia, a small town, and a train was stopped on its tracks at night because these people, the conductors, saw what looked like an ape lying across the tracks, and they didn't want to run it over. So they stopped the train, they got out, and this thing woke up um, and apparently tried to scale the bluff, the rock side that was near this train, um, and... They lassoed it and they captured it and brought it back to Yale. And a, a doctor named Dr. Hannington examined its body and said it was like nothing he had seen before. It had um, a hand that was different from ours. Apparently, it didn't have like an opposable thumb. It had five fingers that ran in the same direction instead of one being divergent. Um and it was about five feet tall, covered in thick fur uh, from head to toe, and um, apparently snapped a stick differently because it was super strong instead of breaking it like we do by putting it over an edge and cracking it over our leg. It could just twist it and snap it in half. Um, so I listen to reports like that in history, and you got to take note that no one in North America in, in the 1880s would have had a private collection of wild animals um, that would suit that account. No, no gorillas, no greater apes were brought over to North America at this time and point in history. So what was that? I don't know. <laughs> and I mean, and, and also that's a people, if you ever hear people say, Oh, why, why haven't we ever captured a Sasquatch? Why haven't we ever captured a Bigfoot? This is a perfect example of a capture that's been reported in history. And there's been many others. It's not just that one, you know? It's just more modern days, we haven't heard of something like this happening. And there could be a reason for that. Maybe more of them have died off than there were in 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 population earlier in in our time on North America here. Well, you you brought you bring up that it was around five foot tall, and um, you know there are reports of Bigfoot being upwards of even nine foot tall in some accounts. But there there is a, a bit of a split in the Bigfoot community, if you want to call it that. There's a side that firmly believes that Bigfoot is some sort of ape, some sort of North American ape, at least the ones we we see around here uh, in the uh, United States of America and Canada. Um, but then there's the other side of the Bigfoot community that believes it is an offshoot of humanity in some way. And the reason why uh, DNA always comes back as human or non-primate is because it is partly human and some missing link. And those two communities do not get along very well together. I'm open to either. I'm just wondering, uh, the, the Bigfoot people here, if you have an opinion on one side or the other. Dr. Meldrum, you want to jump in? Sure. Well, it, in my mind, it's, it's kind of splitting hairs because I know it's, it, uh, 
it uh, creates quite a lot of uh, polarity in the community and it's, it's really a lot of uh, heat and not very much light. Um, the two, two uh, well, for example, two hypotheses that, that uh, are both uh, worthy of consideration that have been proposed by researchers from very early on. The first is, is a, a large ape, Gigantopithecus. Even Gigantopithecus has been contested uh, through its history as to whether it's a, an ape or a hominin, a member of our family, an early offshoot of our, of our family tree. But, and basically, I mean, it just shows how you can be close to that point of bifurcation. And the distinctions are kind of subtle. They're almost academic, you know. Um, but uh, Gigantopithecus is the right size, the right place, the right time, would make a great ancestor and a candidate ancestor. On the other hand, some say, well, but bipedalism, you know, evolution is fairly conservative. Bipedalism evolved once. That's a difficult uh, statement to um, uh, defend in today's, uh, today's knowledge of paleoprimatology and, and uh, paleoanthropology that, you know, a, a trait like bipedalism could have easily evolved multiple times in, in these lineages, including amongst the apes. I mean, that's where it started was amongst the apes. That's where, where are the hominin lineage emerged. So if it is on the hominid side of the, of that fork, it's got to be a fairly, uh, uh, early offshoot, something like a robust Australopithecine. It doesn't, you know, I mean, for all the, the chit and chat about it being high, more highly evolved and, and, you know, possessing of all these uh, qualities and characteristics, its behavior and its anatomy suggest that it's, a bipedal ape it's a, or a bipedal hominin with a very small brain, not much bigger than that of a chimpanzee or gorilla. It has no material culture. I mean, unless you're of the Kumbaya camp that say it doesn't need material culture. It has evolved beyond civilization and it's at one with nature. Okay, that's fine. But it everything, I mean, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. And this thing look, looks like a big bipedal ape. It behaves like it. It has the, the morphology, the robusticity, the, the uh, small brain, the lack of material culture, the lack of home bases, lack of complex social structure. You know, so that's kind of the nitty gritty of the, of the split there. My question on Bigfoot in general uh, would be if the government's aware of Bigfoot and they're suppressing that information, um, what is the government's rationale uh, or what would it be for suppressing it? And because I can understand why they would suppress all kinds of things about history and UFOs, but Bigfoot, what kind of impact would it have on society? And why would the government want to actively cover it up? And are they actively covering it up? It, my personal experience is, is no, I, I've, I've not had any inkling that, uh, that there is an institutional policy or position my encounters have been at the sort of the mid-management level so whether it's uh fish and game or u.s fish and wildlife it's it's a district manager who doesn't want his reputation sullied or his credibility called into question or to be challenged how uh federal or state dollars are being spent and so or or you know his just his personal reputation that said his credibility and, and i've had multiple experiences where where that, uh, you know, employees of people like that have shared those experiences. You know, the kibosh has been put on any, any effort to um, pursue information or to discuss it publicly from, a, from an official position. But as far as, as some, you know, 
conspiracy. I mean, I've been doing this for how many years? Almost three decades, and no men in black have shown up pounding on my uh, laboratory door or rifling through my files. So either I'm really good at (laughs) – at one conference one time, I got a big laugh because we were having a panel discussion. I I said, all right, I'm going to come clean. I'm a federal agent, and I've been charged with uh, disseminating disinformation. And apparently, I've been doing a pretty good job for the past 30 years, because look at you all sitting here listening to me. <laughs> so, you know, either I'm doing intentionally or unintentionally a good job of, of keeping people down the, you know, uh, barking up the wrong tree or going down the wrong uh, primrose lane, or, uh, or the other stories are, uh, are just conflated and, uh, you know. If, if there's any motivation, uh, either on a, a corporate or an institutional, you know, federal level, it would be the only motivation I could possibly see was would be the the uh, conservation ramifications. It's just like federal agencies in Idaho denied there were native wolves for decades, even though there were. Uh, there, there were, were repeated sightings. Oh no, no, it was just a coyote, because as soon as they acknowledged there were wolves, they would have to have a management plan. And unless that was a man, uh, you know, a funded mandate, that meant resources from other projects would be uh, siphoned off in order to uh, meet the the needs of a management program for wolves. So it was only after a, a court case when wolves had been reintroduced in Idaho, and there was a challenge, a court challenge, and the federal court said, "No, this was done improperly. You need to get those wolves back out of there." Oh well, it's going to be tough to separate the introduce wolves from the native wolves because they were there all along. If, so um, those, those kind of, I was just going to say, those kind of things are a possibility. If I could ask to those that are such as yourself uh, that, that are experts on this, what do you think the reaction would be to society as a whole uh, with Bigfoot, say some type of acknowledgement relative to um, extraterrestrials in terms of mass panic or, you know, certain things like this? Do you think there's a difference or people would react similarly? Well, I mean, I, it, I like to compare it to the narrative of the discovery of, of the gorilla. You know, that, that was a very uh, threatening announcement to some people's belief uh, system. Uh, and I've had some people, I've had some fundamentalist Christians who come up to me and said, no, you know, Sasquatch, the whole thing of Sasquatch is just a conspiracy to undermine religious belief in creation. And... Uh, and so uh, there are some people who might react that way, but for most people, it's uh, you know once that once that evolution of perception proceeds, it's remarkably similar. You know, you've got these stories of these of these mythical folkloric creatures, then you get these man-like monster tales. You know, it's the most uh, you know, uh, uh, Barnum, P.T. Barnum, Bill's gargantua is the most ferocious creature on the face of the planet. And then and then that ferocious creature is selling war bonds. And he becomes the poster child of, of the imperiled status of, uh, of the tropical forests, you know. And, and we have Coco the gorilla admonishing us to take care of the planet, you know. So it, I, I can could foresee the same kind of of, of a cycle of uh, public opinion when it comes, I mean, we've already been through a lot, uh, through several of those steps with Sasquatch already. We're well down that pike and, and sure there would be some uh, adjustments. It wouldn't rewrite the history or the, or the science text at all. It would just add a footnote, really. No one's going to care unless Bigfoot says something fucked up on Twitter 10 years ago. <laughs> then they'll get outraged. But 
pretty much I think the response will be the same as when the New York Times wrote the article about UAPs. It's kind of very tepid, very interesting to people like us, but by and large, the public was going like, eh, well, what else yeah. is on Netflix? When's the next UFC fight? Yeah. Um, so I got a question for you, uh, Dr. Meldrum. You were saying that, you know, in, in science, it's only, it's acknowledged that bipedalism, uh, can only happen once in evolution, but by bipedalism can be learned, right? Because you look at the example of, uh, Lewis, the gorilla, who's been living in, uh, Philadelphia zoo for some years now. And he walks on his, you know, he yeah. walks bipedally everywhere. And he learned that from his father. Right. Like his father was the only other gorilla that walked like that and died. And now Lewis is the only gorilla that walks like that. So it's like, can we say if we're seeing this hairy upright ape that's walking around on its, you know, hind legs all around North America, could this be possibly something that's learned from uh, other Sasquatch if, if they are existing in sort of some kind of tribal community? Well, in, in the science, we refer to either facultative or habitual bipedalism. Facultative, uh, you know, your, your dog can facultatively hop around bipedally, but it doesn't have the morphology to allow it to habitually uh, employ that that means of, of posture and locomotion. There are other gorillas. Am, another real famous one is Ambam at the London Zoo, and he he and his sister both stand up quite adeptly and walk around, even when they're not carrying things. They they just stroll around on their hind limbs, but they have the pelvis and the and the lower back and the limb proportions, the the hips and knees and ankles of a of a uh, knuckle-walking quadruped, but they can stand up, just as we can get down on all fours, you know, facultatively. We're certainly not adapted well for it, but but uh, everything, I mean, if, if we can take the Patterson-Gimlin film and so many details reported by eyewitnesses as a benchmark, uh, uh, what you see on that film is adapted to bipedalism. It has the, the pelvic shape, the the upright uh, stance, the the position of its head relative to its spine and, and uh, limb proportions of, of a biped, but you know uh, the 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 notion this and it's a rather it's a rather antiquated notion that that uh, really the old school. I mean, it's just like back uh, when I was a student, it was hammered in. Evolution is one way; you can't reverse an adaptation. Well, that's malarkey. You can evolve it. You can mutate a gene that turns off a process, and it only may only take one single mute chance mutation to, to flip that switch back on, and all the hardwiring is already still there, and boom, that trait reappears. We see that with atavistic traits, suppressed traits that suddenly reemerge um, because they've been released. And so um, our ideas about evolution are very different, and the notion of convergence uh, on, a, on a, a similar solution to a similar challenge uh, from different starting points, or in this case, from very close starting points. So it's not, it's not really so amazing. Um, but there are, there are uh, examples, multiple examples now, of other Miocene apes, apes that, uh, you know, get back 13 to oh, 20,000, or excuse me, million years ago, 
that that showed signs of bipedalism, that it may have arisen multiple times amongst that. And it was one of those in particular that gave rise to the hominins and uh, with the uh, artipithecines and australopithecines and so on. So, um, so the argument that, well, since, bi- uh, since Sasquatch is bipedal, it must be a close human relative, um, that's, that's one argument, that's one hypothesis. But it could just as easily have occurred that while the australopithecines emerged from a, an ape radiation and, um, uh, and uh, colonized Africa, probably from West, West Asia, the ancestors of our modern apes uh, or modern hominins seem to have arisen there. It, it's very possible that a, a large terrestrial ape in Eastern Asia experiencing climatic fluctuations and fragmentations of the habitat in similar fashion to what was experienced in Africa could have also evolved bipedalism. There's a lot of other biomechanical aspects. I won't go into all the, the uh, you know, esoteric aspects of that, but there, there are multiple lines of reasoning that uh, bipedalism could have evolved independently in, in multiple lineages in parallel. I just had a quick uh, comment and then a question for anybody who wants to take it. For me, I, I didn't cover Bigfoot for the longest time when I first started doing my show. Uh, just for me personally, I didn't see, I saw a lack of evidence, physical evidence, until I started interviewing people who've had their own experiences and, you know, uh, actually did experiments communicating with these creatures. Um, I know, Charlie, you know, Ken, uh, Ken Swartz from C60, he lives out here in Colorado. He says he has a few Bigfoots out near him that he can communicate with him with wood knocks. Uh, it's things like that and the, you know, the eyewitness accounts of, of these things just kind of disappearing off in, into nowhere after taking a couple of steps. You have the footprints, you have one or two footprints, and they're gone. That kind of, like, for me, supports an, an interdimensional aspect but then again, um, you know, there, there's that lack of evidence thing until you talk to some people who have actually experienced this firsthand. Uh, and that's when these stories for me get really interesting when it comes to Bigfoot is people who are communicating and actively, you know, encountering these things. And I think that's where the evidence, as far as now, we're, we're mostly seeing it. That's interesting. I really, and I, yeah. I, I just, my question is, has anyone uh, either tried an experiment with communicating with these with wood knocks or know someone who has? Yeah, I know. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, friggin' Jeff, you know who I'm talking about in That's our you. latest. <laughs> uh, Dave, Dave, um, Dave on Whidbey Island. What's his name? Oh, Dave Ellis. Yeah. Dave, Dave Ellis. Dave El- David Ellis and, and the Olympic Project guys have all um, been out at certain times. And, and Dave Ellis is sitting on uh, his spy on, which is like, you know, a, a listening device that usually creepos might sit in an apartment room or a hotel room, you know, or special agents or detectives trying to listen through a wall. Well, this guy is not applying it to that. He's actually going out into the forest and he's taking this spy on dish hooked up to a tape recorder of some kind. And he's got his headphones on. He can hear things that the other guys in his uh, squatcher group can't quite hear off in the distance. And so he's initiated communications um, in, in, these instances where they've heard things off in the distance and they've been like, okay, let's try this out. Let's see if this works. And they'll take two rocks because something that's very common 
in this phenomenon with in terms of the interaction interactions that people have had in the wild is they'll hear wood knocks, which is usually wood hitting on a, a you know the trunk of a tree, or they'll hear wood uh, rock clacks, which is two rocks being hit together really hard in the distance. And um, so the Olympic project folks, David Ellis and his, his guys have been uh, doing that and they've recorded, they've actually had interactions being recorded on tape. And um, just in, in my latest doc, um, they, we, we show that interaction, one interaction, but this guy's got like, a database of many interactions that have happened in just the Olympic National Park in Washington, uh, Washington State. Yeah. Anybody I, else want to jump in? I'm glad Chris mentioned the um, the footprints uh, disappearing, the wood knocks, etc. I think it's a very real glimpse into into that fray that. Tim Renner and Cutchin offered with their book. And I'm glad somebody mentioned that as well. That fray into the Bigfoot community that we're sort of discussing. And uh, Dr. Meldrum, such a true statement about the wolves and um, entering into that same sort of deception. Isn't it possible to kind of go back for a moment that the upright evolution is quite Darwinist and in a matter of fact, a sort of a deception in a way in the dominance alone and enough to really, you know, the first in each group to do that, I would argue, would be the more dominant. Bringing in the trickster and the, the, uh, the, the Darwinist deception. And I would also argue that we as human beings are, are quite, you know, deceptive, wearing makeup, clothing, driving cars and tantalizing jewelry to appear to be things we are not. I don't know. If, um, if I can jump in to ask anyone who's willing to answer, in the last, say, 50 to 80 years, have there been any cases that may suggest any of these beings have been uh, biologically altered um, in any way, shape, or form? You mean like, uh, ex like they're products of experimentation? Sorry, ge genetically. My apologies. Yes. I just talked to a guy. Um, and granted, like, take it for what it is. My show is people coming forward and sharing their experiences. So they come forward, they come on the show and they talk to me about what they've been through. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to go off on, on, you know, how I conduct myself, but I just talked to a guy, uh, I think it was Monday last week and, uh, he was, uh, stationed on Nellis air force base, uh, uh, area two. And, um, he said that when he was there, there was uh, a lot of fishy areas of the base. There was a lot of um, interesting areas that you weren't allowed to go to. For instance, there was a building there that was a glass building. You really didn't see people going in and out a whole lot, but they were always, it, it, there, there was um, always somebody coming out, but not a whole lot of people going in. The, the way he's talked about it, it was like there was some kind of, he thought, underground system that they could go, kind of walk around and stuff. But um, there was a building that uh, his... Because I think he said it was his father-in-law was stationed there as well and was also uh, one of the main engineers of building a certain type of building that was meant to keep something in. And uh, apparently something broke out. And so his, his, uh, his father-in-law was called in in the middle of the night and they told him that some vehicle drove through the gates. And uh, so when he got there, the gates were bent out though. 
And so he's like, was the vehicle on the inside? And they're like, no. And he's like, well, how did the, the gates get bent out? And, um, and so it gives this idea that that building that he helped engineer and secure was meant to secure something on the inside. And, uh, and there's, there was these rumors of, um, this hybrid creature that they were experimenting on there and stuff. And I don't want to, I don't remember all the details of it and stuff, but it wasn't Bigfoot. It was something else that they were working on. I think it had it was like supposedly a mixture of cat and something human or something like that. Thank you. Interesting. I think, I think the other thing to keep in mind too, like we had, I remember Grant Cameron was on a few years back and he was talking about the government wanting to disclose this portal research. And I, I don't know if it's disinformation or not, but he had recordings of, I think it might've been Kit Green. I don't know if Mike or anybody probably knows more about this, but kind of like the official weird desk talking about portals and this thing. So that's why I like to keep the high strangest part in, in mind too. I think it's like most of these other mysteries that we're interested in, in Grimerica, whatever, I think it's all of the above in a way. It's a bit of everything, you know? Uh, sorry, you go ahead, whoever wants to. Well, I, I mean, a, I have a uh, question for the, for the group. Um, does anybody know the role of the Smithsonian in keeping a lot of this information sort of buried? Because I've heard for a long, long time that that institution is not to be trusted, that there's a whole lot of... Uh, actual history and records and things that they are that they have suppressed so i wonder does any and this isn't limited to bigfoot of course this is any of these unusual creatures i mean does anybody know about the role of institutions like the smithsonian and the london museum and i'm sure the egyptian museum of keeping some artifacts suppressed and away from us that have to deal with these types of creatures um, well, if I could say, I think personally, I, I don't, I do have some data to suggest that they are covering up many different things, whether it's, you know, uh, certain types of humanoids we're not familiar with or extraterrestrials or you name it. But if I could chime in and say quickly, I think the the disc theory, um, distributive idea suppression complex, as coined by uh, Eric Weinstein, I think that's a great, uh, a great example of what's going on here, because I think the Smithsonian is one of many of those institutions that any type of proposal or or finding that is not in line with, you know, the mainstream way of thinking gets hidden away very easily. So I would, I would just to add to your point, I would dare to say that the Smithsonian is at the helm of that. Uh, I don't know if it's at the top, but I, I would say certainly if you look at a lot of the big time donors and what have you, and there's some evidence to suggest that some money that has been donated has, you know, very quietly disappeared in similar stances, like uh, the way that it has in the Pentagon um, in those cases. So again, I don't have uh, the answer, but if I could add, then that's, that's what I've been finding so far. Charlie, it's not just the Smithsonian that does this. I mean, all the way down under as well. I had a couple of guests on, they were talking about skulls and um, from what I've seen these were very out of place skulls altogether so the government came in there they um, hid it away you've also when it comes to the whole Bigfoot thing I used to think it was kind of physical over supernatural but then you look at all the way around the world you'd have to think by now logically we would have some kind of physical evidence right but at the same time Carl Sagan said Absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. So I have to go with, I can't remember the guy's name from Grimerica there, but the high strangeness aspect of this. And I don't think there's any one answer fits all of these cases when it comes to Bigfoot or any of these other cryptids out there. 
I think it could be a whole host of things that we just don't understand in many cases, you know. And obviously, whether it's America, Britain, down under, there's going to be a, a rush to hide anything that might call into question the official narrative of who we are, where we come from, and what the hell's going on here, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, tend, to, I tend to agree with this. Like, uh, in my first doc, uh, I'll keep mentioning my doc. Sorry, guys, you're going to get sick and tired of me saying this. But uh, in the unwanted Sasquatch, actually, Dr. Meldrum disagreed with me putting this one photo in near the end of the documentary when um, one of the um, speakers who was uh, doctor, not doctor, sorry, uh, John Green, who's now passed, he mentions that uh, he's been engaging with the, the mainstream scientific community his whole life. You know, he said he'd been studying Bigfoot or Sasquatch for over 40 years. And the mainstream um scientific institutions never took him seriously, never uh, admitted to conducting any study about them. And he was pretty frustrated about that. And he believed, he, he said that um, he kind of was seeing over the years that um, science in, you know, the, the academic sort of uh, channels tends to be following a paradigm. And it, it seems to uh, not like ideas that are new that could challenge the old. And uh, that photo that I used was Charles Darwin kind of on a cross, uh, like an illustration. And I understand why Dr. Meldrum objected to that because he is a man of faith. And uh, I don't want to insult anybody, but I was just trying to get across like, the concept that um, sometimes the mainstream acts as a uh, institution that um, has beliefs instead of um, following, you know, interesting new concepts and saying, hey, what's going on over here that a lot of people are reporting on? You know, it may be on the fringe, but when you still have thousands of people reporting the same thing, these upright hairy ape-like not man but something else um if the volume of reports are there and we have hair samples and we have footprints being left all you know for a vast majority of the sightings are there's lots of footprints and uh dr meldrum's study on the footprints has been extensive he seems to think it comes from something that's not us um then why is the mainstream not saying we should really investigate this and uh and and admitting to there's something being there and I'll, I'll just add two more things to that like if anybody's looked at that um washington state um atlas i think it was published by the um uh American Army Corps. It was uh, sort of acknowledging that if you're going to be in this part of Oregon, this part of Washington State, Northern California, that there's been sightings of this type of creature. And if like the military is publishing something like that, um, isn't that interesting? Like why why would a yeah. a government organization be taking something like that very seriously back in 1973? 
to publish into their uh, their their own text that they're alerting their own staff of if they're going to be working on projects in the wilderness. And I know, Dr. Meldrum, you've said, look, like there's no man in black knocking on my lab door at my university hassling me. But um, I've heard, you know, I've interviewed Dr. Uh, not doctor. I keep saying doctor at the front. I don't want to say that anymore, but Richard Dolan, Richard Dolan's like, you know, uh, an amazing historian in terms of the UFO cover-up that's been going on since at least 1947 in the United States and probably longer in other places. But, you know, he'll say, you're not going to be hassled. You're not going to be having uh, these sort of man in black experiences for the mass majority, vast majority of those experiences that have, that have happened in history. It's what you can prove. It's not um, what you say you've seen or uh, what, what you say, you know, it's what you can prove. And unless we can prove categorically that there is this, uh, you know, upright ape that's existing around North America and other parts of the world too. Uh, maybe they just don't give a crap and, and they'll just think you're trying to sell books or something, you know, I don't know. Speaking well, of men in black, Tony, didn't you say when you were on my show that there was like this kind of faction of Bigfoot men in black? Uh, these two guys. Well, yeah. There, well, there's reports. Uh, I've never had it on my show, but there are reports of people saying that when they have like tangible, like for instance, the one story that I heard was uh, a guy had shot at one, and I think he hit it in the knee, and right behind the knee was uh, a tree. And he was able to receive a blood sample and hair. He had it on him. And uh, when he had that evidence and stuff, he spoke about it over the phone. And the next day, two guys showed up at the house. I don't think they were men in black as much as it was like, uh, uh, I think he described it. The one guy was like gruff looking. And uh, the other Did guy looked like a Bigfoot. Oh, yeah. No, like, like in a suit. Oh, glasses. I do want to make a comment real quick on, on, the, on the concept of proof. Real quick on the concept of proof, um, I run into this problem a lot with my research because in Kennedy, there's a lot of stuff that you're just never going to be able to prove, right? Uh, I was a cop for nine years. I've worked thousands of cases. I understand the investigative process. And a lot of times you have to build a case based on circumstantial evidence, witness testimony, and you never have proof. The vast majority of cases that go to criminal court, there really is no proof. And people either get forced into taking a deal or um, it goes to jury trial and they have to look at the circumstantial evidence. So I don't know that necessarily um, finding any kind of slam dunk proof is even uh, a reality at all. You know, here's my whole thing is just like we have been bombarded with this idea that if it doesn't fit into the scientific method or doesn't fit in to the laws of physics, it's not real and it's impossible. And, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I know that's a, a taboo word for some, but I wear it with pride. And I just know that we live in a very special place. And the things that fit outside the laws of physics, I don't want to insult anybody here, are what makes us special, my humble opinion. And <clears throat> there are things that can't be explained in a scientific method and stuff like that. So for me, these amazing things, whether it's paranormal, cryptids, all that stuff, like 
for me, it's just, I mean, how many people have to come forward saying they saw something? Like, what do they gain from this? I mean, I'm sure there's some people who might write a book or whatever they are, but for the most part, it just seems like it comes with a lot of, like, negative reaction and pushback because people are f- afraid to believe outside of what they've been programmed to do. And, like, I know we talked a lot about Bigfoot, but there's also, like, Dogman and – uh, you know, Chupacabra and all these other things that I think are pretty, pretty amazing. I'd love to hear everybody's thoughts on that as well. But for me, man, it's just, uh, you know, there's things out there that people, it's like, if we said right now, Bigfoot existed, right? And there'd be a lot of people going, oh, I'm so tired of it. You're crazy. And then CNN came out going, guess what? Bigfoot exists. Everyone's like, it exists. I can't believe it. And this is real. Can you believe that? Bigfoot is real. People be high-fiving in the just, streets. It's just crazy <laughs> that it's just, they just have to have a, a certain brand tell them it's real, even though that brand has lied to them thousands and thousands of times. You know, Dr. Meldrum, Dars, the other people here, they do stuff on their own, out of their own pocket for of something that they really love. Yet these people who make tons of money from giant corporations over and over again to push a certain narrative, well, they're, they're, they're seen as true of heart and intent, which I have no clue how that works. As a stand-up comedian, we are constantly being censored. And I think the two, the groups that get censored the most are stand-up comics and YouTube creators because we can create stuff for nothing. We don't need bank money or anything like that. And I'm sure with your guys' books and your docs, it's the same thing. You you generate your own money to invest into your projects, and they really, really hate that. So we get censored a lot, and we get picked on, and we get told that we're just crazy people. And for me, that means we're on to something. So whether it's whatever cryptids, I, I, without a doubt, with the amount of time and effort that I know everybody on here has put in to study this stuff, I have to believe that there's something more out there. And I do believe we live in a very special place that's a lot more interesting than we believe. And for me, it's like Super Mario, right? Super Mario goes from Donkey Kong, but you know what? There's Super Mario car out there, and he doesn't get there until he starts opening his eyes and believing in a lot more stuff. So sorry to get weird right there, but that's my opinion. No, well, I got you mentioned the men in black, and you know what are the men in black? Because for me, they're like a paranormal topic all into themselves. You know, you, you get this image of them being G-men from the government, but come on, let's be serious. You know, turning up to Bigfoot sightings, and what 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 would be the point? Then you look at the work of John Keel, and he was like the rock star of the paranormal world back in the day, and he's more famous for the whole Mothman thing. But when you get into the accounts of the men in black, and I'm sure Midnight Mike, he'll be able to add to this, they in themselves, there's something kind of non-human about them. Some of them act out of place. It's just total weirdness. What, Mike, you, would you agree with that, that they themselves, in some instances, are paranormal? By... If the accounts are to be believed, and you believe the witnesses, and they've gone on record, the accounts of Men in Black, they started off as what would people would consider an intelligence group or some some squadron of, the, of an intelligence group, probably Air Force, to go and intimidate witnesses. And then over time, it seemed to have morphed into a hybrid paranormal interaction, and it's like almost poltergeist. 
uh, interaction when you start to talk about them or start to act in a way with intention to expose the secret around a UFO topic particularly. And then they would, they, then that men in black would manifest and try to ruin your life. It is, there seems to be a correlation with these fantastic ideas, whether it's Bigfoot, Dogman, the Beast of Bray Road, Mothman. It's almost like once it, once that topic has your attention, other things start to be factored in. For instance, uh, the investigation that happened at the Beast of Bray Road, uh, I believe up in Michigan, there was uh, uh, accounts of this upright, walking, wolf-like creature. By all accounts, probably this is called a werewolf man or like a wolf man walking around, terrorizing sheep, uh, raiding Armenian. goats. Yeah, an Armenian, crazy Armenian. But it was investigated by the the local officials, uh, the wildlife people. You had uh, police, the police department investigating it. And these people went on record stating that when they were investigating this stuff, they were miles away in their own office when they were talking about investigating the dog man. Paranormal stuff started happening. Books moving, things moving around their their area, books flipping open, uh, being pushed on the floor. So it's like when they started to address these weird things, it started to recognize what they were doing and act towards them. Uh, really quick, if I could, thanks for having us on, guys. I know I joined a little bit late. Um, tried to keep my thought process on this uh, without losing it. Uh, really quick, I'm going to go back to what Charlie asked about the Smithsonian. I had first heard about uh, the Smithsonian covering up th- stuff probably back in 2005. Um, now, what I had heard from it was from a uh, creationist who had talked about a story where they had dug up giant skeletons, I believe in Arizona and had sent them to the Smithsonian and the Smithsonian said they lost them. And because it did not, that was sure uh, in the gold rush, right? Um, I believe it was 1881. If I remember uh, yeah. it correctly. And then shortly after that, a couple of brothers found one, um, a pair of them uh, not far away. Now, granted, I don't trust Google. I don't trust any of the things that you can, uh, really fine on there, but just kind of hitting a few points that was mentioned in between Charlie's question and that was pushing a narrative and then also the frequency of events supporting a lack of evidence. Um, You can look up Smithsonian giants, that's it. And you can find tons and tons of articles of this idea that for years and years and years on end, they have been sent different archaeological dig findings that have been misplaced, have been destroyed, including but not limited to the Smithsonian um, admitting to having lost or destroyed some because it did not, they didn't have a place for it in the museum. Uh, So just to go back to what Charlie was saying, I I have heard that as well. I don't know if any of the rest of you have, uh, but you can definitely, there's a lot out there on the Smithsonian covering up a lot of evidence and different uh, weird ideas that I think a lot of people probably haven't heard of because it didn't get submitted. Uh, hey Ben, do you know, uh, uh, is there a uh, Indiana Jones type warehouse somewhere out there with, with, uh, with artifacts in it? I don't know. I'd go to it though. Yeah. It's called the Vatican <laughs> area 51. Uh, um, no, but like, you know, going back to, I know we've talked about men in black a couple times already, but just like in terms of what, that uh, concept to me is, is just censorship. You know, every time you hear about a story where if it's a plainclothes officer, you know, like somebody 
in black with a black hat, black shades, coming to intimidate a witness or a contactee or somebody that has a piece of evidence to prove their story um, or just an actual Air Force officer. Like we, we li- listened to um, the case of Westall 66 that happened in 1966 in Melbourne, Australia. Um, this mass daylight sighting happened. Over 200 people saw possibly one and or two discs that were flying over a elementary school and a high school. And um, a science teacher got involved with, you know, encouraging his kids to go outside. And then uh, the news reported on it throughout, you know, that month. And um, this teacher allowed himself to be interviewed by the, I don't know, Melbourne Gazette or something like that. And when he did this interview, the next day, he was visited by the Australian Air Force, two personnel from there. And he had not a man in black experience, but he had a suppression experience, which was uh, fear and intimidation. They said to him, look, like, there's no such thing as UFOs, man. Stop talking about it. And if you want to continue talking about it, you'll never teach in this country again. And he shut his mouth until uh, James Fox just released The Phenomenon, which is a really cool documentary. And uh, the first time that that teacher has actually been seen on camera talking about his uh, sighting during Westall 66 and his, um, you know, fear and intimidation incident by not men in black, but the Royal Australian Air Force personnel uh, he's, he spoke about in person and that was pretty cool. You know, like it just, it shows that there is an active suppression, uh, going on, not just in the United States, Canada, but like Australia, for example, possibly around the world with certain things that, um, they just don't want us talking about. They don't want us acknowledging. They want us to go back to worshiping celebrity like the Kardashians and, you know, doing whatever menial things that we we don't want to challenge ourselves with. Can I uh, jump in very quickly, if that's cool? Um, my my research that I've been doing over the past handful of months has found, and again, I I could be wrong. This is just what I found personally, but it, the suppression of it all has gone from direct intimidation, such as you know, for, whether it's UFOs, Bigfoot, the Air Force, you name it, and regardless of the country, it's gone from direct intimidation most of the time because you know there's it's a lot more difficult to get away with certain things in the public level, more to subtle suppression. And what I mean by that is this, in the sense that these type of people uh, will create disinformation, not about the actual topic that you're trying to discuss, but to the extent in which you, uh, the masses will believe in that topic. So Richard for- Doty. Richard right, Doty. Right, right. So, very, for example, very, very quickly, Gary McKinnon back in 01 or 2002 hacked into NASA, the Pentagon, you name it. And long story short, he found a bunch of files that are, you know, debatable as to whether or not it proves the existence of a, a secret space program, for example. But the point I'm trying to make here is that the U.S. wanted to extradite him back to the States to, to stand trial. But one of the reasons why Mr. McKinnon, who lives in the United Kingdom, is still a free man today, uh, at least in the U.K., is because... Because if he were to be extradited, 
what would happen is that he would have to testify in court in front of a jury, in front of a judge as to what he saw when he hacked into the NASA and Pentagon uh, system, right? The judge would have then said, okay, under the Freedom of Information Act, the, whoever, the Pentagon, CIA, you name it, the judge would then say, all right, you have to then corroborate this. And it would actually end up shooting the U.S. in the foot metaphorically. Because now what would happen is that the evidence that was never there now becomes there in the sense of sometimes you have to look for what isn't there. And if Gary McKinnon's testimony were to line up with the files that would, you know, arguably be forced to be released unless they, you know, just claim they lost it. So, so uh, quote unquote, then it would have proven Gary McKinnon correct. And mm. what I'm trying to say overall is that, again, it's more about the disinformation angle. I think regardless if it's Bigfoot, UFOs, you name it, you know, the, the men in black showing up at your door is not nearly as common for a multitude of reasons. But I think to chime, to chime in where I can with actual proof of men in black and bringing in the space agency that is a very real space agency in every every account of Navajo Rangers, almost every account of Navajo Rangers showing up to uh, many of their sightings, which would include Sasquatch and Dogmen, things of this nature. Prior to them arriving, almost without this is with extreme frequency was. Bass Agents, which was basically the renamed National Institute of Discovery Science. And you end up with these different groups that just keep changing names and changing names. And it's like, it's like a constant shuffleboard. And I mean, would you call them men in black? No, they're not intimidating the people, but they definitely were getting evidence and everything before anybody else would get to on site and, and traveling extremely long distances to do so. Yeah, I, and recently, I'll add... Oh, so I'll just add to um, uh, what's your name? Which guy was talking there about uh, Brian Andrew McKinnon? No, I know Brian. Oh. I know you, brother. Hero <laughs> paranormal. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, no. So uh, with Gary McKinnon, I think what saved his ass from not being extradited to you know the United States and possibly Guantanamo Bay was the fact that he suffers or is autistic he's on the autistic spectrum and Theresa may officially um denied his extradition from the uk to the united states because it would have been yeah. a civil rights issue would have been a human rights issue because right. this happened when he was in his early 20s he like has also ocd he kind of suffers from ocd and uh he was obsessed about getting into these servers and i i don't discount that he probably saw some evidence of a secret space program uh, i agree with you there but i don't think that's why he wasn't extradited i think it was actually a more humane uh reason in the end but it could have been cool if he was uh, you got to keep in mind if he was extradited um that kind of trial that they would have been uh designing his case for would have never been televised Right. It would have. It would never have been. It would have never have actually uh, been put onto the record. Like it would be considered, you know, a Supreme Court thing. It, it would not really yeah. be yeah. recorded like you would expect uh, an OJ case or something like that, right? It would have made him look stupid. You know how you know how he hacked in there. Yeah. Yeah, they, I know. They, he they just he the, just put the, administrator yeah. and empty password. Yeah, because they left <laughs> because, all their routers default passwords. Well, no, <laughs> I, I I I used to work in IT, uh, and I 
I know that whenever you create a new server or you create a new uh, computer, you, you set up a new computer, back in the day especially, he did this back in Windows uh, probably XP days, and the servers would have been like ser Windows Server 2000. They always have a default administrator account that if you um, are logging into, if you want to like log out of your user account and go to the highest level default user uh, administrator account to make changes overall to all the, the user accounts on the computer, you can just literally log out, type in dot backslash and then administrator and hit enter because the administrator account doesn't used to not come loaded with a password and um so it was prone to hacking and he had a he had an application that he was running that he would find out all of the ip addresses for you know jet propulsion lounges uh servers for example and he would run this application against um, all those IPs and this application would really quickly try and log in with that dot slash administrator blank password account and he got in to many in that way and in a way he actually um, showed their security flaws so he did them a favor but um, right. you One know we're really off real topic quick. here that's that's a good bit uh, of I want to say something real oh. quick is that the these these government agencies don't always come as blatant men in black. Yeah. Uh, we have seen forever that we have agents of chaos that show up and um, they show up in different forms. Sometimes they're friends. Sometimes they're employees. Sometimes uh, they're saying they're coming to understand your research. I just had uh, a gentleman on named Ryan Bloodsell, whose family went through a lot of stuff with, uh, with UFO sightings and, you know, and, you know, uh, the CIA and they did not come in in the form. They didn't always come in the form of, you know, men in suits. They came in the form of people who were there to want to understand and misinformation agents. And, you know, I just think we have to understand that it was like the, this game is kind of crazy. Like controlling what we believe is very paramount to these people, these masters of mankind. They want us to believe we're just speck of shits on a rock hurling through yeah. space, and we got one shot at this, and if, if, we, if we don't listen to them, we're going to die early, and that's our only run. And, they, they, you know, it's all scarcity, and it's all about, you know, leveraging death against the scarcity of life, and it's all that stuff. And when we talk about these things, whether you believe that they are um, – just animals or you believe that they are interdimensional. They are something in which for some reason, a lot of people would not want us to know about. That doesn't always mean that the government is actively doing it, but they also could be doing that. We just don't know it. Sometimes it's, it's not as blatant as you see in the movie. Sometimes real if, quick, if I'm going to recommend this book just real quick. This is called the, the giants who ruled America, the missing skeletons and the great Masonian cover up. It goes back to like, so what we're talking about, the like curation of information and the Masonian. It goes back to the early 1900s and the Powell Doctrine. You guys can look that up. It all has to do with manifest destiny and religion and uh, hurt feelings. So that's all I'll say on that. Great book. Wait, Mike, you oh. brought up um, David Polides yeah. at the starting of the podcast. I and I, I'm curious. I've, I don't think I've asked um, Dr. Meldrum much about this before, but 
What's your stance on David Politi's Dr. Meldrum? Because he he published, you know, Missing 411. And in in one of those uh, books, he references a story which, you know, he's he's a former police detective and he did some research, in-depth research on a case where um, a, a couple's child went missing in a national park uh, one day. They were having like a group family picnic. The kids were playing hide and go seek. The kid went missing pretty much immediately. There was a search and rescue effort. You know, they combed the forest. They never found a body. Um, and apparently an FBI agent got involved in that case. And this guy was deeply disturbed from everything. And, and you know, in, in David Pleady's account, the FBI agent committed suicide for guilt of some kind. And apparently there was like a Green Beret military exercise the very next day in that forest where this kid went missing. Um, and, um, and, you know, there were other hikers and stuff in this national park the same day the kid went missing. And one couple recognized an event during the, the midday that they saw, they heard a scream up on like this rock ledge and they heard that looked up and saw what looked like an upright, you know, like ape like thing carrying a kid with a yellow t-shirt on its shoulder running like off into the forest. And, you know, you hear things like this and then a military exercise just mysteriously being scrambled to go into the forest that next day. Uh, do you think that there's like any, military acknowledgement and when you hear about stories like david polides do you think he's just <coughs> trying to fictionalize and make something uh more scary about the bigfoot or sasquatch phenomenon or do you think there might be some legs to these uh accounts especially when a couple's kid you know never got found in this case darcy's trying to start fights here <laughs> yeah oh no well, not not on my account. I hope. But, uh, oh hell no, hell no, no. I'm not. Um, uh, yeah, David and I don't always see eye to eye on on, on things, uh, uh, both topically and, and personal behavior issues, but uh, of treating other people. But he um, is very fastidious about not. I would be surprised if he had an account in any of his his books that actually um, uh, pointed a finger at a at a Sasquatch-like figure involved in any one of his abduction or his missing person, not abduction, but missing person's accounts. Because he, uh, one time I made an off-the-cuff remark about uh, missing children, for example, and and, uh, and made reference to one of his books. Boy, he came after me first privately and made it very clear that <laughs> that he went to great lengths not to uh, draw any conclusions. And that allows him to play it both ways. He speaks more frequently at MUFON conferences than he does at Bigfoot conferences anymore because he plays the uh, alien abduction angle on those stories. The stories are interesting. And I, I honestly, I've not read his books, but I've, I've sat through his uh, presentations where he has uh, uh, described the narrative of some of these accounts in, in uh, excruciating detail. And, and, and they're fascinating, they're interesting to the extent that, that he's reporting the circumstances accurately. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, I honestly, 
don't think they could all be attributed to uh, Sasquatch, you know, uh, snatching children, even though culturally that's a very common theme amongst in both indigenous uh, uh, descriptions and, and, and otherwise uh, about the behavior of Sasquatch. I mean, here in Idaho, one of the names is the uh, Soavitch, which is the eater of children. And, and cannibalism and child and, and, and woman abduction, uh, abductions are a very common theme throughout uh, Sasquatch lore. So uh, on the side of the military, again, I, I think it, it boils down to more to... Um, just the uh, not, not an institutional policy or or, or posture but the, the stories that come back to me are, are like uh, uh, soldiers that are out on on training maneuvers and their um, you know their mentor tells them to watch your step you know if you see one of these things do not engage I've heard stories from uh, soldiers who were on guard duty in military bases who were told by their commanding officer their or their supervisor they're directly above them um again you you're new to this region you might see something out there walking on two legs do not engage it they're out there and just leave them be you know there's just that attitude that, that you discover so many times when you go into a local region and uh and you get acquainted with the local the locals themselves, and and for them, it's just part of the landscape. It's it's a given. I mean, I always think back to one quick story. Doctor Bindernail, just a short one, was up investigating a an account on the uh, I think it was the whole. Well, maybe no, it was in Canada, so it wasn't the whole reservation, but it was a reservation. There was a sighting, and there were some footprints that had been reported. And he was out on the trail, looking for evidence and trying to follow up and. And happened upon a, a group of teenage uh, uh, um, kids, uh, members of the tribe, and chatting them up, talking about, and uh, and he was asking them what they had seen. They said, oh, yeah, we saw the footprints. And he said, um, well, did you take pictures? I mean, what, what any scientist would immediately think to do, you document your evidence, right? And they all just kind of looked at each other and they started laughing. They go, well, why would we do that? It didn't even occur to them that that would be a priority, it would be to take a picture of these footprints, you know. And so there's something to be said about the attitude and the, the mindset. Uh, for these people, it's just part, it's just there. It's just part of the worldview. And we, we place this inordinate significance because we're so fixated, we're so obsessed <laughs> with this topic that, that uh, you know, and, and and taking notes and taking uh, collecting data and all this, and to some people it's like, eh, you know, why, why would you bother with that? If um, Joe if, and I, Jen, real quick, uh, would you guys like to jump in because uh, you guys have been sitting nicely, and uh, I'd love to hear from you guys if you want. Then we'll get back to you, Zed. Sorry about that. Yeah, I just had a question for Tony. I was telling Sam, I'm so used to just listening to all you guys. I forgot I could actually talk to you. <laughs> I had a, a question for Tony, maybe for Jeff too. Um, what do you think of the uh, psychic sa Sasquatch area? Because there are tons of stories of people, 
you know, psychic connections to Sasquatch. And that's kind of where it loses me. I can get along with the, uh, the Sasquatch and the UFOs. There's enough stories that uh, kind of bring those two together. But the psychic one is like, Sasquatch is kind of a bumbling idiot in a lot of stories. <laughs> so to think that he's like connecting psychically and downloading all this crazy information seems a little uh, far-fetched to me. Yeah, I mean, when I first started hearing about that was, I would say, 2014, 2015, when I first started looking into the Bigfoot topic. And uh, it was almost enough for me to stop doing everything that I do. Uh, I, I was like, what is going on here? Because when I first started looking into Bigfoot, I mean, granted, my opinion has changed a lot. And certainly me and Dr. Meldrum, you know, look at things a little differently. But um, I... Uh, I definitely was like, this is just a hairy monkey in the woods. And that's why I started the uh, Facebook group. I started, I was like, I'm going to go find this freaking thing and just whatever. It's just, it's going to be easy. It wasn't easy. And uh, I, I started hearing more and more of these stories of people talking like psychically. This one lady was telling me how like she talks to Bigfoot and it appears to her in her living room. And to me, I'm just like, ah, uh, and me and Dr. Meldrum probably come from a similar stance when it comes to the theological background. And uh, I, I just start thinking, I, I, I'm not so sure you're actually having any kind of communication with Bigfoot. I, and I don't, I'm very short to question people's experiences because one, I wasn't there and I do believe this world's really freaking crazy. But um, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think it might be more along the lines of uh, demonic than anything else. Um, but you know, who knows? That, that's kind of the way I lean to the uh, or the the trickster you know element comes in a lot with the Sasquatch and a lot of a lot of the other uh, weird cryptids too is a kind of a trickstery type of you know like they're fucking with you type of thing. Mm. One, I I have to go, but let me just interject one one thing. One of the 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 tells when it comes to those who are claiming psychic communication is just press them on the issue of what are you talking about with Sasquatch. What, how does the conversation go? And either, one, they fall flat on their face and they can't give any coherent response, or two, you get this extremely elaborate, I mean, like the uh, Matthew Johnson, Darcy, you'll, you'll uh, uh, you get uh. an elaborate uh, whole storyline about this entire, you know, Atlantean race type thing, or Palladian race, and, and he's been chosen as the spokesman, and they're about to enter and usher in a new era. I mean, it's all the uh, age of Aquarius kind of mumbo jumbo, but it's either or. There's no in between. There's no just, uh, you know, like like a conversation with Coco the gorilla where, you know, do, are you having a nice day? And where do ducks go when they die? <laughs> and hey, uh, a new kitten. But I mean, at least there's a conversation where there's, there's ex thoughts exchanged between the two parties involved. But what he had for dinner or anything like that yeah yeah i had a psychic in my lab here she came and sought me out and she was telling me she could she could tune into these different groups and in, in different states or even on the other side of the world and i asked her that i just point blank said well what's he saying what what are you what's the conversation like uh, uh you know it, it just it becomes the kumbaya around the campfire you know peace and goodwill it sounds like you'd, you'd think you'd gone to a miss america beauty contest the question just falls flat anyway it's been interesting and fun but i have to leave i'm afraid so um take care thank you, thank you. Dr. Thank you. Meldrum. 
Hey guys, I have to leave as well. Uh, thank you guys for having me on. Uh, I just wanted to say, Charlie and Corey, this summer we need to have a Bigfoot expedition in the mountains. Yes. Go find this fucker. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Hey, have Corey. fun. Tell us how it goes. <laughs> We're going to need some provisions, though. Yeah. yeah. Good luck on that. See, here's Party my whole opinion on the whole thing is like, you know, I. Uh, when you're talking about this stuff, I, 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 I get a little weird when we, we don't understand how people can't believe us and then we're so quick to dismiss what other people think. And, you know, the truth of the matter is when it comes to this thing, and it's no disrespect to anybody who was on the show, but, I mean, we are lit- we, there is no handbook for this that what is right and what is wrong. So whatever it is, I, it could be more than we ever believed. It could be completely nothing. I mean, we don't know. We're only talking about it. So when someone says they could have a psychic thing, if we're talking realms and we're talking dimensions and this guy's in it, why couldn't he talk to us? You know, I've had people who had UFO experiences and they were like, I never for one second thought about grabbing my phone. It just didn't let me. It did, It is something that did not pop into my head was to sit here and think to grab my phone. So we don't know why people, we say that all the time. Why do you grab your phone? If we're going to entertain the notion that these are beings of a higher evolution, they could have like, nah, 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 nope, don't grab that phone. This That's not the picture you want to take. That's not yeah. the picture, right? So we don't know. Yeah what the answer is so i'm i i get very worried when we start dismissing everything that doesn't make us feel comfortable I because think, i think a topic like this is something for people who don't have black belts in this uncomfortable if i, I could oh sorry no i was just gonna say like i believe to a certain extent in um like the power of the mind being able to um, connect with things out of body, you know, um, for example, we know through, um, the CIA's X MK ultra program, you know, there's a deep history in that you can look up men who stare at goats and they made a movie about it and such, uh, that there was a active recruitment and, uh, research organization, uh, sort of time period that the CIA was doing um, remote viewing and remote viewers are still employed by major corporations around the world. They're still employed by military or organizations and such. And this is, um, it's not psychic, but it is some kind of extrasensory ability that the brain has to um to see things that are, you know, out of our body, out of like our direct connection to our feeling, you know, like usually your thoughts uh, or projected thoughts are described as imagination, but mind speak, like, I don't know, like when, when you, when you hear about people saying they have telepathy, that is just such a rare thing. Why would it happen with Sasquatch, but not from person to person as much? I, I think- um, Darcy, I think that a, a lot of this stuff that we, when you go down the, the path of the weird, it really depends on your base of where you're coming from with what is Bigfoot. 
there, you know, there are people who believe that these are alien entities. And if they are alien, then, you know, that opens up a whole new Pandora's box. Some people believe that these are demonic entities. And if they're demonic, that opens up a whole new thing. And that's why when Joe asked about the whole um, the mind speak stuff, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe I didn't you know, like my first initial reaction is, you know, the idea of, you know, for me personally, if I had an experience like that, I wouldn't think unless I maybe I was looking at this giant creature in my my room here, I, I would think that there's something more demonic going on right now. If I'm experiencing this, not necessarily Bigfoot. And uh, that's why I said what I said, because a lot of times from my experience of talking to people, uh, they're out in the woods, they experience mind speak and they attribute it to Bigfoot without ever seeing a Bigfoot. And that's when I'm just like, uh, there might be some other things going on here because, you know, like, like, I mean, if anybody's heard my show, I mean, I, I go on on a lot of topics, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer that uh, we don't got to figure it figured out. And there's a lot of craziness that can happen. That's and, you know, but when it comes to the belief level, that's where for me, it all starts where, you know, some people it's like, I got to see it to believe it. And then some people are like, you know, I'll believe whatever. It, it's, it's all good. And so uh, and I always use this example as well. You know, if you if when it comes to like Bigfoot, you know, or paranormal, uh, if you take an atheist and a theist and you put them in the same room, like a priest and an atheist, and they have a paranormal experience, they're going to walk out explaining that experience. They had the, the experience. They can't get away from that, but they're going to describe it very differently because one went into the room believing there's a higher power. And the other one said, no, there's not. So when they have this paranormal experience, one might have a more theistic view of it. And the other one might have more of a scientific view of maybe the mind, you know? And so I just think that there's, there's a lot of perspective here when it comes to these topics of, you know, where is the person who had the experience uh, perceiving these things? Like where, where, where are they starting at, you know? And then we can kind of go from there. Uh, so that's just how I look at stuff. Yeah. No, I, didn't, I, I, not, I don't discount, uh, I, I don't discount mind speak at all. Like I know that it's no, something that's been reported on, in the sort of contactee phenomenon for like throughout history, Betty and Barney Hill, they had mind speak, you know, Travis Walton didn't, but there's, there is a lot of evidence that point to if this, and I haven't done any research in terms of the UFO Sasquatch. I just, I have discounted that. Um, maybe I should, maybe I should find more evidence of Darcy. The only thing I disagreed with you on is when you said, the XMK Ultra program. If I could chime in really quickly to, re regardless if it's UFO, Bigfoot, you name it, to add to Darcy and Sam's point as well from an intelligence angle, I mean, it's very basic common knowledge that it, in the CIA, it's all about, I mean, at least on the... Um, the, the field level when it comes to the agents and the case officers, it's all about being good conversationalists in the sense of, you know, it goes from, for example, if I were to ask you guys, uh, do you believe in UFOs? You then reply with, well, do you believe in it, right? And now you guys, by asking that question back to me, have taken over the conversation. And if we apply that method to a much larger scale, what then happens is you control the narrative because if you bring yourself down before anybody else does, you control the way that it happens. Right. And by doing that, it creates a I'm not trying to get into the whole, you know, psyop on top of psyop kind of aspect, but it brings that sort of intelligence angle of, you know, questioning the extent in which you actually believe in the topic instead of the topic itself. You know what I mean? I, I got I got I totally I completely agree that there's a lot of manipulation on that level. I got a jam, but I just got one more question. Do we have any, you know, what what? I'm excited about Godzilla versus King Kong. I don't know about you guys, but 
that is a Woo! national holiday for me, okay? So I'm super <laughs> excited. Do we have any stories of cryptid wars? Like, you know, I know we had, you know, I had Tony on talking about the Bigfoot Wars of uh, 1855, but I mean, do we have like cryptid, you know, Bigfoot versus Dogman, winner takes all, squared, anything like that? I mean, because I'd love to hear about that. Now, the only other like wooded, um, you know, mysterious creature that's really been fascinating me lately is, is this thing called the rake. Um, does anybody know anything about the rake? Because that thing, and when I see Hold these on, videos Corey, of the rake, it just blows me away. I asked about fighting, and you're, now you're asking about a fucking rake. I want to know. Anybody know any fights I, out there? I mean, I'll, I'll take both those. One, uh, as far as the fights go, I... I don't know about like Bigfoot on uh, Dogman action, but there's there's a lot of like legends, especially of like a, a, was that a horn hob category. <laughs> I knew you were gonna go there. <laughs> as soon as I was saying, I was like, oh, this is the wrong guy to say it to. Uh, but Darcy, I know I can't I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there's those those guys up in the cabin northwest uh, of the country, and they got Sierra sounds. No, the siege of Hanabi, I think it was. Uh uh, but like it's the idea that the you know, Bigfoot attacking human and they had to defend themselves and things like that. Um, but as far as rake goes, uh, I've talked to a top top off the top of my head. I've talked to three different people who have had these experiences with these rake things. And uh, to be honest with you, when people describe them to me, it just seems evil. Like people say dog man evil, like rakes on another level. I mean, it, it the way they describe it looking, I just did it. What is uh, a rake? What does it look like? Don't so, look at it. Well, it's like so a white, really skinny, crackhead looking thing. Sort of translucent. So it's from Vegas. Too. Yeah, like like a lot of the people that I've heard describe it uh, kind of looks almost like Gollum from uh, Lord of the Rings in a sense. But like a uh, soul sulking yeah, elemental. Yeah, exactly. And um, the, like just two weeks ago, I put out a show. The first half of the show was a guy who came on and uh, he woke up one night to one of these creatures coming in, trying to get into his window. His brother, his stepbrother called it the monkey man and had seen it before. But he's like, dude, this was no Bigfoot or something. This was like, like you could see the skin on and stuff. And he had found a, a sketch online that almost matched perfectly to what he saw. And that's why he just started. He started calling it the rape because he didn't know what else to call it. Did he uh, let it I, in? What happened? Oh, yeah. So let me finish that. Uh, he got out of his bed, got his gun, uh, but it had already taken off by that point. But there was another guy that I had talked to where he had come home with his wife and he saw they saw this thing sitting in the uh, I think that it was either his backyard or maybe it was his neighbor's backyard facing his house. But it was like eyeing up the house like it was trying, it was going to get in there and stuff. Um, and then the first time I ever talked to somebody was down in uh, Houston. I did a live show in Houston and I had a guy come out from uh, Dallas who uh, him and his friend were driving down a major highway, broad daylight, and they saw two of these things walking up a hillside. And so his friend sketched it and I showed it to the people at the, at the show. But um, they, they're not I don't get a ton of people coming on to talk about that stuff. But uh, even the sounds that people say they make it, like there's these videos online and stuff of people saying it was the rake sound and stuff. And it's just like, golly, like if, if I heard that in person, man, I, I, I wouldn't do my show anymore. And I probably crap my pants for about five days. Well, Tony, um, good to see you again, brother, by the way, we'll sure. hang out again soon, man. But this rake thing, I get on Lon Strickler and he's the guy behind phantoms and monsters website. Stan Gordon, who somebody mentioned earlier as well, he comes on. And they have both said to me, independent of one another, right now, it's the rake that's the number one thing that's getting reported. And 
I was actually asking about the, the Mothman sightings that had been around Illinois, and I thought that would have been the most kind of common thing that's been seen. But no, it's this rake. And if people look at the rake, this is a, a really weird one for me, but you know, you could almost make a case for if at some time in the distant past, for whatever reason, be a cataclysm or something, humans went underground into tunnels, into caves. And if they had to stay there generationally over time, you know, you'd start to adapt to the cave. So you might start losing the, the melatonin in your skin. Your eyes might start getting bigger. You would end up crouched over, maybe walking on all fours because of the spaces down there. I don't know whether it's paranormal or, or what we're looking at here, guys. I could make a case for a lot of things, but the plethora of people seeing this thing right now, it, it's kind of anomalous into itself, you know? Well, as the elite, as the elite goes down into their underground bunkers and their underground yeah. caverns, <laughs> they're forcing all these people out. They're displacing the, the rake population. <laughs> the fascinating thing about the rake for me was like, where does it fit in the human evolution? Because it seems as like a as a as a humanoid, uh, it would have to fit in somewhere, and uh, yeah. it just seems a big puzzle to me. Corey, I, I, I think though. you, I think you looking at, at it as a humanoid at all from our lineage would be just probably the the wrong starting point in my book I, I don't know i would disagree from a native american perspective because much like in skinwalker lore yep. you know That's they true, cover yeah. themselves with white powders to assimilate almost that creature in a way and i don't know i think the were they trying it, it's a it's a it's a, it's a broad question but when barker was mess, mentioning that i i just kind of drew that correlation that in many of the rituals, they would cover themselves in white powder when trying to interact with or draw these darker entities that are like a rake or a wendigo or things of that nature, a skinwalker, or any kind of shape-shifting animal. I was trying to find uh, some some old video footage that I had seen a long time ago, but I couldn't find it. Um, maybe you guys will will figure it out for me. But you know, everybody's heard of Skinwalker Ranch, and on Skinwalker Ranch the NIDS team and, and the many different owners of that uh, estate said they'd seen all kinds of crazy stuff. Like the NIDS team said they actually had a um, night that they were recording some kind of portal that opened up in the, the middle of the ranch ground. And then what looked like a Sasquatch climbing out of it, and then running off into the forest. Well, they, they like said they, specifically it was a very large, dark creature that ran fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I say Sasquatch. But exactly. So you, yeah. you, got, you got Sasquatch bias, my friend. I do, my friend. But, <laughs> but like, you know, you hear about that, and then you you, you guys are talking about the rage, rake, rake, the rake. And um, there was another ranch. I can't find it. Um, and, you know, I've been looking at this stuff since I was a kid, still am a kid in a lot of ways, but um, I was checking out, have you guys ever heard of the Bradshaw farm or the Bradshaw ranch? Yeah. In Sedona. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like been there many the, times. Really? Okay. So yeah. there was a video like the Bradshaws, their story is really interesting too, because the Skinwalker ranch has, you know, for a while it was kind of a no go. Then uh, Robert, um, Bingham, no, Robert, Robert, Bigelow. Uh, Bigelow. Bigelow bought the ranch and now it's, uh, there's a, uh, TV show being filmed on it and they, they saw a cow die or something and Eureka, we've got proof of something happening, 
But um, the Bradshaw Ranch is one of these places that, or the Bradshaw Farm, however you guys try and find it. I couldn't find the video, but there's um, stories about this ranch in Sedona and this family was living on it for a time and they reported all kinds of paranormal and anomalous, really strange stuff with entities like rakes uh, appearing and disappearing and freaking them out. Um, and apparently now, I don't know if it's true, but no one can go to this property. Like the American government has cornered it off and said, you can't even, you can't trespass here anymore. It's illegal. And um, the, these videos surfaced online back in the 90s uh, of what looked like, so uh, the son, one of the youngest Bradshaws, had a mini DV camcorder and was recording, you know, looking around him at one point uh, in, in the forest line on somewhere on the property. And he stopped for a second and then started zooming, on, zooming in on this, uh, this sort of bush and you can see this like translucent like head kind of peer around the bush and it has this like big almond shaped eyes and then it looks at them and then kind of, you know, hides its head and then pokes its head back out. And that was like a really creepy video I, I saw of a, uh, you know, I would even consider that kind of a rake, but um and, and like video proof of something like that. But the, the more interesting story is that that family just got ushered off of the property and you can't go there anymore. And, and there, there's things like this video that surfaced from people's experiences there. The, the thing about the Skinwalker Ranch, you never actually get to see videos that the NIDS team recorded or any of the, the information during Robert Bigelow's time, uh, owning it true i have uh i'm sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say if you want to get any of you want to get more information tom dongo is the guy to talk to he's the resident expert there uh when it comes to the bradshaw ranch and i've gone many times it's legit like whatever is going on and yeah they, they, they ushered in due to tax purposes they ushered in it was donated because of that to Arizona State University and they're currently doing cottonwood growth studies. So they have these little cottonwood trees that are growing with all this camera equipment. So there it is. That's amazing. There's also, there's also another <laughs> ranch and there's another ranch in Phoenix called Stardust Ranch where a guy who owned it, he killed three gray aliens with a samurai sword. Yeah, that's uh, John Edmonds. I yeah. When, about when I hear stories about um, Skinwalker Ranch in particular, a lot of people who go there, they have like hallucinations. They see mist turn into wolves and, and weird stuff like that. And the first thing that comes to my mind after having extensively studied uh, MK Ultra and the CIA is that they learned in the 1950s how to aerosolize LSD and other hallucinogens. So one of my theories was that it was when these people are seeing hallucinations as they come onto these different properties, that that was a possibility um, to explain what they were seeing. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would, I would argue, just to go along those same CIA documents and declassification routes, that magic has also perfectly been declassified as a CIA document. And, you know, therefore, it leaves the dark arts. So, yeah, you could technically run tons of, like, you know, LSD, which this sounds like a great project, but, you know, through the ground to different areas on a multi-thousand acre plateau and ridgeline. 
but I think that the dark arts could also possibly explain part of it. But I, I'm not arguing with the MK Ultra man because I'm with you. And you know that MK to skull new technology is yeah. off the chain. Uh, one thing about MK Ultra that a lot of people don't really uh, see is that while the mind control was like the cover, really MK Ultra was a uh, uh, kind of a front for all the biological weapon stuff that they're still working on to this very day. So, um, but yeah, the uh, they cropped us at a town in the Midwest. Um, there's very little information on that because the people killed each other. And, uh, George White himself released an aerosol container of LSD in the subway system in New York in the 1950s. So I don't put it beyond them to do things like that. I don't know about anyone else, but I've never, uh, uh allegedly in my acid experience ever seen anything like a dog man or, a uh, any kind of cryptid. I've never seen anything crazy like that. And I've done allegedly again, uh, a pretty high dose and I never saw anything that wasn't there. I saw weird shit moving, but I've never seen a cryptid on LSD. So I, I feel like, I feel like LSD, um, is the perfect scapegoat if, if you will, for, um, the authorities to say somebody didn't have a credible experience with their own right mind. You know, you could, you could say, well, I mean, for example, folks that started reporting UFOs back in the 1940s and 50s, their original nickname by mass media was crackpots. They basically accused them of being these, you know, rednecks that possibly were a little too deep into their own moonshine and, and made them hallucinate. So I would, I would be scared to associate, you know, um, cryptid type sightings or ufo sightings with lsd um vapor lsd sprays by i don't know mk ultra men i have no idea what, what where it goes but um i don't know i don't think so i think uh nick redfern just wrote a book uh dissecting rendlesham forest and how that whole rendlesham forest incident in the early 80s could have been some sort of uh Mind control experiment in combination with uh, with uh, hallucinogens and a well orchestrated play acting. You can make shit up. I don't know if I buy into it, but I think it's an interesting theory to consider. Ooh, why would Nick Redfern write that? Um, I, you have to read a book. You know, I lack of content. I he don't must, know. He must have Maybe. some new info, or it must be a new spin on it. For yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think Nick would. Write something that doesn't have some fresh content. Yeah. I'll post a link That's the only here. reason yeah. I was thinking. Um, I would agree with that. Man, I think this is, for me, the more we go along here, the more I don't really care about the physical evidence or anything like that. I mean, materialism's falling on its face, really. And people we know, so many people that have had spiritual experiences or experiences with this stuff that... It's just a matter like proof might not be there, but the plethora of evidence is really what's just going to turn the tables. I mean, it's changed so much over the last, I think, like 10 years, 10, 15 years. People are feeling more comfortable to come forward with experiences. And I think it's just going to open up from here more and more. The problem is, is like what, um, uh, what's his name was saying there, Zed about the disinformation. Now it's easier. Now they have the subtle manipulation. It's easier to, let false stories propagate in the media and and uh, suppress the the stuff with real evidence and so we're you know now instead of the media focusing on the ufo stories that can be proved fake you know now they're that sort of is shifting but they can easily do it with all these cryptid and other strange things just 
push the stuff that they know is silly and, and uh, suppress the stuff that might have legs. No doubt. It's like, you don't even need men in black anymore. You just have mass media algorithms. You just, yeah, you have algorithms with Google and social media that will push people to certain ideas. Even if you, I mean, we're all talking about our theories and my phone um, is a Google phone. And uh, anytime I search something about cryptocurrency or, um, you know, uh, extraterrestrial life, that type of information, my Google news in my, my phone is loaded with like cryptocurrency news. It's loaded with like, uh, mainstream, like science, science, America, scientific Institute of America, sort of like mechanics, popular mechanics, like stuff that's sort of debunking extraterrestrial stuff. Uh, cryptocurrency, I guess is accepted. So it's like adding stuff like that, but you know, I've been talking about, all kinds like Sasquatch never pops up in that. I don't know why. And I'm like, it makes me think that uh, there's certain algorithms that are being fed into that, that, um, that they want reinforced by the general public. And there are certain algorithms that they just want the general public to be asleep to and, and not really care about. And uh, that's like the greatest information suppression right there like you don't need men in black you 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 may need somebody like richard doty going to the ufo conferences and uh becoming a popular speaker like david wilcock and and end up ending up like soaking up all the attention and and distracting uh people from the really credible history of of things that have been going on um but i think yeah like algorithms and and just like all of our artificial intelligence uh, is is being employed by um, the powers that be, I'd say. And I'm going to jump in just because I do have to go. But somebody had mentioned, I agree about your artificial intelligence and tying into that. Somebody had mentioned like crazy people seeing wolves turn into dust or, you know, something along. I was one of the two guys that saw that. So I'm one of the crazies. Um, and... In that, and I'm actually looking at the awesome image that I got from you, Tony, uh, killer image of the wolf turning into like this departalized matter, anyway, matter that it kind of yeah. came that way and it, it left that way. And my theory on what that could be is in fact alien AI or something like that. And w- what I mean by that is, you know, as I heard this, there was like an energy and a buzzing. And when we were right there, it was myself and Ryan Skinner. And this thing was within, I mean, it was, it was bounder, bordering on our personal space within that six foot uh, <laughs> mass radius. And th- these little things were like particulates. They seemed like nanotechnology of sorts. Maybe um, all, of, all of them, like, much like a drone swarm, could work together and become something and then come apart and you know, become something else. So anyway, with that, I got to go. And I, hey, I wish shoot I could me, stay longer. Shoot me an email. Yeah. I want to I want to talk to you more. Okay, brother. I will. Thank you. Thank you. you guys. See you, bro. Right. Take care. Maybe we should start winding down too. I mean, geez, it's getting late. I mean, God. Nah. 
I got to be on with Joe Roop at midnight tonight. Okay. Wow. Okay. It's going to be a long one for me. It's going to be a long day. Uh, real quick, I wanted to mention, because I didn't get a chance to mention it before, I was at Mel- uh, Melbourne who was on. And you asked him about uh, missing 411 and David Politis. I saw David Politis talk in Phoenix in uh, 2020, uh, in January. And MUFON hosted him to come talk. And the first part of his talk, he did an hour and a half talking about Bigfoot. And then the second part was, uh, the second hour and a half was all about missing 411. And he said, do not jump to any conclusions that either one of those talks have anyone to do with one another. But uh, I have all the audio. He he ran down quite a few uh, interesting tidbits about Bigfoot and his finding, DNA testing, and what he believes Bigfoot to be. And then, you know, an hour later, he was talking about missing 411, all under the MUFON umbrella. So I think he, uh, David Politis' uh, conclusions and thoughts on Bigfoot are quite interesting. Uh, and it's kind of unfortunate that uh, the infighting that I talked about within the Bigfoot community is, is pretty real, I guess. Mike, I would say that one of the most interesting uh, theories that I heard along the lines of Missing 401 came from you with the idea of the simulation. My mind popped when you said that about going out so far into the woods and instead of, uh, you know, making up a whole landscape for this one character, they just removed the character from the simulation. Like, I was just like, Holy crap. Never thought about that one. You're looking like you don't remember saying that, but I know I heard it from you. <laughs> no, I, I read it on the show, uh, and uh, I forget who came up with it. Uh, I have it sourced. I just read it on the show. Someone came up with it and then wound up deleting their post. It no longer exists on Reddit. I have it saved. Oh, man. Uh, but yeah, it has to come down to with processing power. Is the simulation going to waste all that processing power into rendering the beautiful force just for your eyes? No, it's easier just to throw you into a rock. Yeah, I think I think um, like, yeah, I, that that story I talked about earlier with that couple that like lost their kid and there was an FBI agent, all that stuff. That was like I literally listened to a podcast. I think it was Coast to Coast Radio that uh, David Polites was on and he talked about that. Oh, yeah. Those events um, happened. Yeah. So and, and he alluded in that show uh, to it being, uh, you know, this kind of like Bigfoot uh snatching incident where like the green beret so i'm surprised that he would you know write two books about bigfoot like i have one of them i have the the hoopa project and then he writes missing 411 and then he won't allow us to connect the two well we can't he just doesn't like it (laughs) yeah why i don't know that's such a contradictory if you if you read the backs of his books he does drop hints but they're all different as it backs of books, he will, he will leave little stories that will that you can correlate to an earlier story in Missing 411, like people being chased up a tree. And then he references a guy in 1960 being chased up a tree uh, by two robot aliens and three humanoids. He, he directly references that story in a Missing 411 book. And so we're left to make these jumps and conclusions about I've what is going about on. I've heard about that story yeah. so that he doesn't he doesn't come off as you know his own belief that that's what it is he kind of throws it out there yeah. like you know it could be this but that's for you yeah, to no. decide i'm not gonna say it it's fun uh, it's a fun think, topic do you think there's a capitalistic mindset to that i mean it, just the idea that knowing that the kind of stories he has would appeal to certain audiences so instead of uh you know courting himself into one market or something he kind of just lets it open for anybody no, who it's, it's the smartest move probably 
It goes. Yeah. It goes to crime and mystery. It goes to paranormal UFOs. It goes everywhere. Uh, government conspiracy. You know. Yeah, my friend Thomas Steenberg. Um, he he thinks that David Politi's like backed. Uh, I can't remember who the um, researcher is, but I'll I'll look it up. Uh, this guy who created this theory that um, John Green and the guys that originally made the Patty Patterson Gimlin film and did that whole uh, research study actually found a family of Sasquatch and slaughtered them. Has anybody heard of this? No. Yeah. Well, y- yeah. Do you know who I'm talking about here? I can't remember who it is, Tony, but like uh, that, that did the slaughtering. Yeah. Well, who, I mean, who, maybe who, there's who, part, maybe there's who, who created that story because like apparently David Polites got behind the guy who created that story um, about John Green and them slaughtering Patty and her whole family after that video was recorded. Yeah, and he's that he's that guy that does all the video stuff. He's is it a, MK Davis? MK Davis. That's M- MK Davis. So apparently Polites got behind MK Davis. And MK Davis like took videos of the Patterson Gimlin film and took stills and uh, changed the sepia tone and saturation to look like there was blood yeah. in the like uh, you know the 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 sandbar and stuff there, but obviously like it's just you know doctored imagery. Right. And um, years later, David Pleadis has never gone back on that, but some people have never sort of forgiven him for acknowledging M.K. Davis's story because first of all, Thomas Green or John Green, I've interviewed him. He's like, he's passed away now, but he was just like the most chill dude. He would never, I don't think he even was a hunter. He ran a newspaper in Northern British Columbia. And uh, that's how he got into the Bigfoot Sasquatch topic. So I don't think he was slaughtering Patty, but. um, Oh, well, you might be thinking about two different, like the one I'm thinking about is recently it made a rounds and I thought it was MK Davis. Maybe I'm wrong, but no, you're right. uh, You're right. Like they were talking like there was a big issue where uh, Bob Gimlin, people were saying that he was part of the whole slaughtering of these. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was it. And apparently like when it originally came up, uh, David Pleadies had backed that theory and that pissed off Dr. Meldrum because Dr. Meldrum was friends with like John Green and and all these folks like Bob Gimlin and stuff such. Um, And, um, he stopped acknowledging the story and, and has gone on to become very successful with missing 411 and, and all the other stuff he's done. But, uh, it'd be interesting if, if he ever like that, that, that whole account kind of bothers me because it seems to stink of fear mongering to sell something, you know, because fear is a great, it's a great motivation or motivational tool to spread a story. And if you're saying like Patty was slaughtered after that eight millimeter film was made, then it, it makes the story bigger than, than it already is, you know? Yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, personal um, pettiness that goes on behind the scenes with the Bigfoot community, especially the higher up you go in those guys with those guys. And uh, you know, like I remember when that was happening. I think it was happening because I, I was with Bob in Houston and I'm pretty sure it was happening around that time. And like, I, I'm just like sitting here with the guy who's, you know, well into his 80s 
you know, and he's dealing with the whole world messaging him saying, you killed Patty, you killed the babies. And it's just like, come on, guys. Like, like, seriously, it, it, it's it's this idea. And this is what this is what frustrates me is that it's this idea that we constantly want more. So if we can't find a new story or something, we're going to recreate a narrative on an old story. And that's what they do. And it, it drives me insane. And uh, especially to see an old man like Bob, I mean, just let him, let him be in peace. I mean, he let him go. Well, guys, I think we're going to have to cut it there and uh, wind it down. Do you guys want to... Uh promote your website there. Corey, you want to, what, what website can people find you at? Uh, CoreyHughes.org. That has all my original research. Um, as far as my broadcasts, they're kind of scattered on the Forbidden Knowledge News channel. Um, one thing I do want to talk about is that uh, April 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, we are doing uh, the very first uh, exclusive Rockfin uh, convention. Uh, over those three days, we'll be doing 12 hours live streaming per day, uh, 12 uh, speakers, and it'll be a Rockfin exclusive. Uh, for the premium subscribers. So definitely uh, Rockfin's excited about it. We're excited about it. It's going to be a good time. And Tony. Uh, yeah. Host of the Confessionals podcast. I interview people who email me about their paranormal experiences. We talk about, you know, anything from, you know, hauntings to Bigfoot to abductions to everything in between. If it's outside the norm, we'll talk about it and we'll have them share it on the show. And uh, I am launching a new show on Fringe.fm. Uh, it's going to be called Rage Against Dystopia. And Joe, uh, the owner of the station, said I could say whatever I want. So I am going into this preparing to piss a lot of people off because if everybody else can say what they want to say, well, by golly, Tony's going to start saying what he thinks yeah. too. So, fucking shit. I am Darcy. Yeah, uh, people can just check out my website. Uh, I've got my trailers for my films there, posters. If you want to watch the film, just click on the poster and it'll take you through to uh, a streaming service you can watch it on. It's www.occultjourneys.com. And uh, Darcy, we're on Facebook, Instagram. If you want to connect, uh, about anything, let me know. Well, cool. Let me just say real quick, Darcy, I watched your movie. It was the first film that I watched that got me interested in the subject. And I've, for the last month, tried to absorb every other film, YouTube video, documentary on the subject. So thank you for that. Oh, uh, on Bigfoot? Which one? Uh, isn't yours the unwanted, unwanted Bigfoot or unwanted Bigfoot? Un Unwant, unwanted Sasquatch. Yes. Yeah, yes. Cool. That, All right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's the first one I watched like a month ago. It, was, it, was, it, 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 it turned the light on for me for sure. All right, sick. Thanks, man. Appreciate well, and for everyone else who's listening, look for the description. We'll update it with all the links for everyone who appeared on here. So that'll be updated tomorrow morning. So thanks, everyone. Ricky, Charlie, thank you. Thank you, Mike, for running the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, good. Thanks. Up. Good night, guys. Bye.
like others have tried This place is a crime scene where spirit has died You'll never know me, you won't get inside under the sea and I'd eat a bullet before I'd let you capture me you don't really know me let's keep it that way two idle mouths left with nothing to say taught before I'm watching my words like someone's keeping score Something like that. This is awesome, dude. Yeah, dude, that's sweet, man. I mean, I, I like...